Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. I'm Alex. And I'm Britton. Uh, and I hope uh, you listeners are ready for a three-hour episode. <laughs> we are strapped in. Gotta make we've sure all we got our hats. the runtime. We've all got hats. Britton is wearing his, like, a cool youth pastor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you guys ready to rap about the bomb? <laughs> Which is a line of dialogue said in the film. I'm pretty sure Jack Quaid says that. (laughs) (laughs) When Devin Bostick is looking up and he's having vomited during the Trinity test, that's what he says next. Do you want to rap about the Bob? (laughs) I used to rule. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do the thing where you, it's like, let me tell you about another guy who XYZ and you're talking about Jesus, but I can't, but it's hard with Oppenheimer because it's like, we're talking about an actual like bomb and the entire point of the movie is that he's, he feels a, a great sense of dread yeah. over what he's done. So it doesn't, and it was a bad thing that happened. It's, yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to, to, to slide that together. Um, we are talking about Oppenheimer. Alex, tell us about Oppenheimer. The man. Oppenheimer. First. I would like a biography. <laughs> oh. Well, Britain's the one with the synopsis. Don't look at me. Britain, have you prepared a biography? (laughs) Yes, I have. It's called American Prometheus, Chapter One. (laughs) Oppenheimer from 2023, directed by Christopher Nolan. It has a 93% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 91% audience score. Mission Impossible is higher on both. Just saying. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) This is the better movie. This is this is the better movie. fascinating uh i like this movie more than dunkirk and tenet well okay I, that, that's a very loaded a lot of ways you could take what you're trying to get at with that yeah <laughs> i i don't even know what i'm saying it's fine I, I guess what i'm trying to say is like the the most recent like set of christopher nolan movies sure. like i've been a little more down on them than than, than most most of his uh, other films um, and this one for me feels for the most part, like we're returned to form mostly like, mm-hmm. all right, he's back doing the things that I feel like are, are particularly like they, they, they go along with his strengths, still some of his weaknesses, but mostly his strengths. Hats, suits. Yeah. Actors. Actors. <laughs> Actors. Doing stark things. image. Stark lush imagery. It's sad. <laughs> Uh, an intensely obsessed driven uh, protagonist good score good score a great score fantastic score um well well, we should we should lay the groundwork before we get into big sweeping sweeping statements about the movie uh britain what is the what is the synopsis sure so chapter one of american prometheus begins thus uh, please tell me you pulled up the spark notes for american no this is the first page from uh penguin random house (laughs) Mm-hmm. Chapter 1. In the first decade of the 20th century, science initiated a second American revolution. A nation on horseback was soon transformed by the internal combustion engine, manned flight, and a multitude of other inventions. These technological innovations quickly changed the lives of ordinary men and women, but simultaneously, an esoteric band of scientists was creating an even more fundamental revolution. Theoretical physicists across the globe were beginning to alter the way we understand space and time. Radioactivity was discovered on March 1, 1896 by the French physicist Henri Becquerel, Max Planck, Marie Curie, and Pierre Curie, and others provided uh, in further insights into the nature of the atom. And then, in 1905, Albert Einstein published his special theory of relativity. Suddenly, the universe appeared to have changed. 
Later on, it says, Robert quickly sensed that his mother disapproved of the people in her husband's world, trade and commerce. I should have prepared more before I started reading from the book and realized it wasn't that funny. See, I was good with this because I feel like if you just let me, if you just run with it, then I can, I can do all sorts of things with that and and post where I can like, I can, I can just like do a, you know, a three hours later thing or, or I can like speed it up or, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, the actual synopsis is briefer and reads thus for Oppenheimer. During World War II, Lieutenant General Leslie Groves Jr. appoints physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer to work on the top-secret Manhattan Project for long-named boys. Oppenheimer and a team of scientists spend years developing and designing the atomic bomb. Their work comes to fruition on July 6th to 16th, excuse me, 1945, as they witness the world's first nuclear explosion, forever changing the course of history. And now you know the rest of the backstory. Good night. Hey, could we expect book reports on American Prometheus uh, tomorrow. On our desks. Thank you, Joseph. Uh, I, I just want to say the one kid sitting in the back of the classroom who, who wants to be smart and, and write an actual essay about Prometheus gets bonus points in my book. But less bonus points in my book. So I think... Yeah, right. Hey, that, that doesn't go for all of them. Hey, put your... Put your... Scroofus? Scroofus, quit throwing spit... Just doing spitballs at him. Stop it. I brought you in this world, and I'll take you out. I'm your father as well. It's <laughs> my son, Scroofus. Okay. No, now Oppen- it's guys, time to get serious. Now that, we've, now that we've gotten all our sillies out, let me... Hey, the, hat, the hat turns around. Turns around. It does say make movies shorter, which is... Uh, this is a three-hour movie, so... I, I, I will say I my theory was right in that I did like this movie more the second time around with it being able to take mm-hmm. breaks. Um, I think that maybe this movie still becomes something I have more respect for than affection, though I do have some affection for it. Um, but it's, it's it's yeah, it just worked a lot better on, on me after I've already seen it. So I had a, a grounding. There's still a lot of details I don't pick up on that are just things that I just don't understand legal procedural stuff. But then when you get into overall sweeping things i get i get the movie better i think this time around and i was able to absorb it a little bit better this time just by virtue of going we well, already kind of know it but now i can turn on subtitles and i can yeah. get a better sense of exposition that way and i can also for a movie that is mostly exposition and uh i can i can take my breaks as i need to like it was it was good to be able to do that yeah i i think the the cast is like an obvious place to get into because that was that was something that I could do this time around is continue to go through and be like, okay, I have that. I now know who that person is and why they look kind of familiar, and I can keep them straight in my head, and I know what their character is, right? And like, I know I know what they do at the end of the movie, and like how much they're in the movie for the most part, so I can kind of track all that, and it it fits better. I mean, it's sort of like watching. Reminds me of like starting Game of Thrones with no backstory or, or knowledge, where you're just like, there are a lot of people in this show. Um, and I think there's something to that in this movie that I think, before we get into any individual performances, I think it really does, it, it is kind of genius that it is so excessively cast. Like, there's a person who is a actor who has been a big role in a lot of other things. Yeah. Or, I think I said that wrong. There is a, a person, there are a lot of people in this movie who have been in a big role in something else. Like, right. there's... 
you know, Josh Peck. <laughs> Josh Peck is here. Oh, yeah, I have a, I have a whole little little spiel. Gonna, yeah, Rami yeah. Malek is like just a random like person who floats around and then is kind of also an emotional, mm-hmm. or a, a, an important kind of thematic beat. Um, yeah, the, it's so it's cast in such a way that really I think brings out the authenticity of the the period piece. The fact that it is like this is how many people would have been involved in this story, and like I'm sure reading the book. I don't think any of us have read American Prometheus, uh, nope. but we did not do the homework. You could get into, I'm sure, all of that. And like, you know, I'm sure it would talk about like, this is this person, you know, here's the breakdown of that. I, right. I would imagine it gets into some of that. Um, and I think a lot of movie adaptations of especially biopics love to do the like, let's condense it. Let's just get, you know, there's one person who represents right. all these different people that impacted this yes. person who influenced that person. You know, like, let's, let's kind of share actions, consolidate, get us, whittle us down to, you know, 10, a, a core cast of 10 in this person's life and like yeah. really focus in on them. And, and, um, and sometimes, I mean, there's things that where that works really well. I, I've not revisited it, but I really like the, uh, the Steve Jobs biopic with Michael Fassbender, um, where that is like, we're, we're very oh, intentionally sure. going to make like three, a three act play where each act is like a different part of his life. And like, <laughs> you can do really interesting stuff like that. That's like stylistic and, and shows like, you know, that it's stylistic and it does it on purpose. And it, it tells a cool narrative that also gives you kind of a good idea of this person's life. Um, this feels very true to life and that there are so many people and yeah, because they're sticking these faces to these names you have to be like, oh, that's not just like they're getting lines. That you know, I think there's like, I don't know, a hundred people in this movie who actually get to say something, and like you can go look them up and be like, oh, that's an actor. That's someone that I know yeah, from yeah. something. Like, it's it's really insane and it's very meticulous, and I think it's really well done. And I think that is like a revelation I had watching it this time around, where I was able to go back and look at that because I I think it really does work to the movie's favor uh it, it can be a lot it can be overwhelming <laughs> to try to track what's going on and who all these people are uh but i th- that was a really cool effect that i picked up on this time around that it helps bring out the period piece nature because you actually feel like this is how many people would have been involved and like all these people would have had mm-hmm. these ideas and, and wanted to give their influence and like there was not oppenheimer is a, a larger than life character but because there are so many people around him it helps you kind of ground him as like He's not just just out there making all the decisions and doing right. everything himself. He's he's leaning on people and conflicted because all these people are trying to push and pull him in different directions. No, I think it's a really good uh, perspective to have on that, and I think it's it makes you pay more attention to all because mm-hmm. all of those characters could be so throwaway, and those lines could be so you're like, oh yeah, one of the guys said it. But when you're thinking, oh yeah, Jack Quaid said that, or. Yeah. Um, Gustav Skarsgård said that or whatever you're certainly I am paying even more attention Mm -hmm. Uh, I will say normally in our episodes there gets to be a little section at some point where I just kind of rattle off oh and let let me talk about the cast for a minute the ones that aren't going to get the main conversation points um we're not going to do that this episode because there are just too many I think this is going to be we'll obviously zero in on on a few performances but this is, I think, going to be something where we'll just randomly name an actor and go like, oh, right, and this person's in it, and they're great. And then kind of get back to it, so just steal yourselves for that. <laughs> You're not going to get Britain's actor corner, uh, <laughs> which uh, I so love doing. Um, but the whole movie is my actor corner, because when we saw it, <laughs> yeah. 
uh, I remember like just constantly throughout the entire movie, we're going, hey, there. Oh, there's who's that? So that every scene you're like, I don't know who's going to show up. I don't know who they're going to drop on me in this one. And I was still having, I was watching on Amazon. So I was still checking the cast notes thing to be like, who am I missing? Yes. Okay. There's David Riesdahl, whoever. It's great. Great stuff. Now they can all be in Christopher Nolan's next movie. Yeah. <laughs> the door has been opened. I want Jack Quaid to be his new, his new They're all guy. coming through. I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Good stuff. I, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't know. I was going to say that there, there's, there's so much with the, the movie. It's hard to know where to start. Um, so I'll, I'll just go ahead and say, cause we, we already joked about the three hour runtime to me. I think that's the only for me, really noticeable weakness in the movie. Um, I, I think it's, it's a little too long. I think 20 or 30 minutes yeah. could be cut from the movie. And I feel this way on a rewatch. I think after they do the bomb test, um, I think after that point is where a lot of stuff should be cut. I think a lot of the straws stuff at the end goes on way too long. And Robert Downey Jr. Terrific. Terrific performance. I feel like all that stuff, a lot of it feels unnecessary to me. Uh, It did towards the end. I don't really know what point specifically for me. I started to have a bit of like, okay, this is feeling like Lord of the Ring, like Return of the King a little bit, where I was like, I'm still good. This is still good. It's a good movie. I'm I'm ready, though. I'm ready for you to wrap it up. And it's starting to get... Now, the very, very ending of the movie, I think, is wonderful. Yeah. I, I really do like that a lot. But some of the stuff towards the end with, like, now... Uh, uh, Kitty is Emily Blunt's name? Mm-hmm. Kitty's now going to testify and all that business. That A lot of that stuff started to feel a little like, okay, this is the epilogue. Let's Let's go. But you know, this is a this is appropriate because both of you are wearing the make movie shorter hat. Uh, I am wearing my directed by David Lynch hat, which Alex gave <laughs> me. Um, I'm I'm fully on board. I had no problems. I did have to stop it just because because it's a long yeah. movie. And at a certain point, I do have to sleep at some point. Um, but I was I was 100 on board, and I think for me, part of it's just like I enjoy sort of luxuriating in the movie. I'm like yes, sure. This is great. I just wanted to keep going. Um, but I do think I actually came came off the second watch being like, I kind of wish there was a little more of Strauss. Um, I kind of wanted that to, to like be more present throughout the movie. And obviously, we're talking about a historical narrative, so you can only play with the, the bounds of what can happen in it so much. Right. Um, but I felt like, because that, def- that section is definitely kind of the point of the movie. It's like, Oh, it's not the bomb getting the bomb together. Like, especially watching it on a rewatch, you can see that there's all these things that are setting up where Oppenheimer's kind of making mistakes along the way that are going to end up reverberating in his life after he's had the big success and made the bomb and, and is supposed to be like the you know, most famous scientist in America. Um, and then how all that kind of comes back around to haunt him. Like, that definitely hits very well for me and I, and that is like the last third of the movie um i don't know i, f- I felt like it i felt like it worked i felt like it it made it it justified why we spent so much time looking at those elements of his life and like talking about like oh what's his influence on communism or influ- influence by communism like what you know wh- who are all these people that he's interacting with and is it smart for him to say that 
oh yeah, you got to bring my brother on board the, uh, the project. It's really important. Like all that stuff that's kind of going on. Um, and then the domino effect. And then also like the ways in which he made decisions to stay loyal to people that ended up helping him out. And like, I, I think that that is a really, like the entire last hour is sort of a exploration of the, uh, trial that he underwent in the American public and not really saying one way or another, like, yes, he's justified, but also like, here are the ulterior motivations of the people specifically that were trying to bring him down. And like, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a really cool exploration. I, I almost thought that that was going to be more of the movie, I think going in. Um, and I think I settled into being pretty happy with the structure this time around, but uh, I was totally, I was like, yes, <laughs> give, give me all of this. I will not, I will never <laughs> stop watching this movie if you don't take it away. <laughs> I think, I think part of it might be for me, just the way the framing device is structured. And I actually think, you know, comparing this to particularly Dunkirk, because mm -hmm. I think Tyler mm -hmm. and I were pretty much aligned on that in terms of that movie did not need to be st structured the way that it was. That felt like completely kind of arbitrary just because no one likes playing around with time. Yeah. So, okay. Um, and that it frustrated me. Um, Tyler, I know it bothered you at least a little bit. Yes. Um, it at least was not, it did not justify itself right, by the yeah. end of the movie. Um, whereas this one, it, it makes a lot more sense because you have uh, Oppenheimer's trial um, that isn't really a trial. It's more just like, you know, it, okay. it's like a, it's like an investigative hearing or something. Yeah, but it's basically yeah, just like we're going to we're going to strip you of all your clearances and everything and basically kick you out. And, you know, yep. we, we don't really need to, like, go through this whole thing. We're just trying to humiliate you. Um, well, and they're trying to put a lot of things on the record to be like here are things that we can use to sort of mess up your good name and right without having to there. like legally convict you of anything yes yes um and i think that makes sense because it's like okay we're going through his life and leading up to the bomb because that's all what all the questions are about and then we're flashing back to him like going through those events okay that makes sense then that's smart in terms of non-linear storytelling and then you've got further in the future, you've got Strauss's hearing so he can become a cabinet member. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Under. It's not. I don't is think it, it's Eisenhower. Is it Eisenhower? Is it? Is it Truman? No, I think it's after Truman. Okay. I, believe. I could be wrong. Yeah. Maybe oh, we'll is it? Um, I don't remember. I'll uh, look it up. Um, Continue. It's before JFK. I know that. Right. <laughs> uh, also, that that felt a little. That's like the one. That's the we'll one get, little. We'll, get, we'll talk about. We'll talk. Egg, we'll yeah. talk about the Nolan his historical universe, historical sure. cinematic universe. Um, but that the the cabinet part was a little kind of frustrating to me, and I because I think they weren't rapping like in Hamilton, <laughs> right? I mean that would have helped. Robert Downey Jr. rapping? Are you kidding? Come um, on. Um, but I feel like Tyler, I kind of agree with you. I but I, I kind of feel like they either should have pulled back on it more or done more with it because I, I I feel like just that Strauss being welcomed into the the or, or having to go to the hearings and everything, it just felt I don't know. It felt needlessly drawn out to me, um, and I feel like we got it where oh Strauss is the person behind setting up this this scenario where. Oppenheimer loses everything. Okay, I get that. And then Rami Malek shows up and, and like steals this other thing from him. He's you know, 
um, kind of ruins his name, drags it through the mud um, with his testimony. I don't know. Like, that that felt like it was just a little too disconnected for me, just in terms of, like, the just the historical context of what was happening. Well, it is also this very character thing for Straws because his whole, or so much of his motivation is, I'm hurt that Oppenheimer is, you know, what did he say to Einstein behind my back? And, you know, what did he, he, he and I should, I, I think of us as cut from the same cloth, but he doesn't. And mm-hmm. this is very petty personal vendetta. So by the end of the movie, it's almost a little bit more about Straws, his pettiness coming back and potentially preventing this thing that he really wants for himself, that he kind of screwed himself over by doing all of this and in screwing over Oppenheimer. Yeah. And then, you know, in the last scene, we find out that they were not talking about him at all. <laughs> they were talking about something more important. And it's uh, it's just very, very... It, it is a little odd. That, and the movie doesn't completely suddenly stop being about Oppenheimer and become about Strauss, but it, it leans more that direction. Um, which I think if I didn't like the performance so much and it wasn't yeah. so much on the, on the movie side, I could be a little like, well, okay, but we... Probably needed the backstory, but sure, all right, we've got it, or the the character stuff, but all right. However, in this case, it's more room for Oppenheimer for Downey to do stuff. Yeah, I I think what works for me, and I actually did not. I think I like processed it, but did not think about it because I didn't know exactly what the structure of the movie was going to be the first time I watched it. Is that Oppenheimer's point of view? Because I don't even think, and I was trying to keep an eye out for it this time. Yes, because they they show the uh, they show that conversation. Um, from both Oppenheimer and Strauss's point of view. And it's not necessarily that everything that happens with Strauss is after the bomb. I mean, I guess it is technically, but like the Strauss stuff is black and white because it's Strauss's point of view. And then Oppenheimer's full color because it's his point of view. And the labels at the beginning are fission and fusion. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like, that's the whole debate that's at the center of it is like Oppenheimer's like, all right, let's build this bomb. And then that bomb's going to, I'm I'm very naive. The bomb's going to fix everything. You know, like building this giant weapon of mass destruction, it's going to work. Yeah. It's going to it's going to make everyone be like, "Oh yeah, we should stop fighting." <laughs> um and then the hydrogen bomb is based on fusion and that's like oh, we you know the we have to keep escalating. We have to go go bigger and like now that we've started on this path, we can't stop. And so like that's the two competing things. I think I was trying to figure out if there is something to that of like I mean, the bomb, the hydrogen bomb is supposed to be, they explain a little bit of this in the movie, that fission is needed to cause the fusion reaction. And I guess that's kind of like a before and after situation. And like, I don't know if there was another cycle there that's like an actual scientific thing. But um, I didn't catch that. And that made more sense to me thematically of like, everything with Oppenheimer is him focused on like, okay, here's this achievement I can do. And like, here's this way I can kind of like make myself prominent. And clearly he, I think we'll get into it as we talk about it. I think the movie does a good job of presenting him as someone who's like, not really a good person, (laughs) but like also shows kind of how he made the missteps he did to end up delivering this thing into the hands of government officials and military men. Um, And, I think it it does a good job of framing that and then framing like, okay, why, like, what was the backlash and how did he end up go, falling so far? Like Strauss, even though we're not necessarily, it's not exactly connected, everything that's happening there is exploring what happened after the bomb that caused Oppenheimer to fall from grace and like 
what was the flip side? What what was the purpose behind this this little backroom trial thing? Um, to me, it worked really well to to highlight like, okay, he he thought he had kind of reached the pinnacle and was gonna be able to kind of ride off his status into the sunset, but then like immediately people started trying to tear him off of that pedestal and like supplant him and. I think that worked really well for me. Framing it that way, watching this time around, it, a lot of that clicked. Uh, not in a way that it didn't click before, but I really liked that dichotomy, seeing it this way. I think it's also interesting that the movie, as much as it has all these other themes, I think one of the big themes is ripple effects of, of personal mm-hmm. choices. I mean, the movie opens with him looking at raindrops and them rippling into each other. But the movie is so much about Oppenheimer. We we see all of these things throughout Oppenheimer's life, little things, big things, you know, friendships, relationships, all these things that he, he chooses and how that leads to his triumphs and downfalls and all these other bits. Same with straws though, that we're getting like, Oh yeah, you just decided to take a conversation you saw from a distance personally. Mm-hmm. And you spun that into all this other stuff that it's very much about the little decisions we make throughout our lives that end up, catalyzing massive things or, or combining and adding up into something massive um that's it's also got this very human theme just about how how a little thing like an atom can explode depending on how you treat it and what you do with it um which is interesting that that nolan chooses to frame both straws and oppenheimer as you know, men who made a lot of dis- smaller and larger decisions and perceptions, and that's kind of what led to both of them yeah. succeeding or failing. What I really like about the movie is that um, it it really puts a, a magnifying glass on Oppenheimer and is just like, no, he he is a complex yeah. person. It's, yeah, it's he's not, not, a, not he's strong, not, not a, yeah, Payan. He he's not he's not a hero who saved America and won World War II single handedly, but he's also not a complete monster who wanted to just kill people with this thing. Um, he is a people be people, you know what I'm saying? Um, but he's a very complex man with a lot of very uh, um, kind of strong personality traits, both good and bad. Um, He's not great at dealing with people, but he also loves the ladies. Uh, <laughs> he, he's he, he can be very abrasive, but man, he knows his science. He's ter- but he's terrible at the, in the lab and all all this stuff. Like I, I don't know. I, I really like the thing that I kind of focused on was like internal contradictions, mm-hmm. and uh, people keep talking to him about that because it's like, well, what do you actually want? And it seems like the whole movie he's trying to make up his mind about that. Because he never feels like he's certain about the step that he wants to take. And it's kind of just like, eh, here's what I think might work for me in the moment. Oh, I, you know, I told my students they could start a union, but they want me to shut it down because Manhattan Project. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Um, and also they don't really shut it down. And that's the thing. Um, but like, I, I really like how it's constantly just going back and forth between like, what was his intent and and like he doesn't seem to know at points like and that's that's what i really like about like uh, when he's you know an older man at the hearing and like jason clark is grilling him towards the end and like 
he's starting to get one of the visions of like he's seeing things and it just feels like there's almost like an explosion happening around him he's just like i can't even think right now um i don't know it's complex and killian murphy's like he, he I know he put a lot of work into this. I feel like he's the type of actor that could kind of do this in his sleep. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> very, very strong, of course. Um, but yeah, for me, the best thing about Oppenheimer is Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I, I think that trial scene, that's what makes that like narrative device so important is that it's like, this is the chance for him to sort of in in a in an I think in the biopic where you were trying to like present someone as like yeah they're kind of complicated but they're redeemable yeah that's where you like give them like it's almost like that's what you do with the the scene where that Kitty gets his wife where she kind of d- doesn't even necessarily defend anything she just uh well we can maybe talk about that and talk about Emily Emily Bond's clear character um but she kind of makes a stand against Jason Clark where this is like Oppenheimer's moment to defend himself and to be like, well, here's, you know, like they say this and this and this, but what I really wanted to do is this. And like, you can, it's the, uh, I, I wish I was the monster you think I am from uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> Tyrion. <laughs> um, and instead he just kind of fumbles and is like, well, I didn't, I thought it would work to make the bomb and then it didn't. And uh, now I don't want to make more bombs. Like it, it's, it's so, it falls so flat. And like right before that, we get the revelation that he was cheating on um, Tolman, who is a character I think we see really, really briefly. Yeah. Uh, but we see his house a lot because they go to house parties there and we find out that uh, he was sleeping with his wife the whole time. Like while he's also like at the same time at that era in the movie was um, getting to know Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt, their characters. Like it, it yeah. It's kind of another thing of like, oh yeah, this guy is sleazy sometimes. Like it's not, it it is not a def- defining uh, or a resounding like, yeah, this guy ultimately he's kind of a good guy, right? Well, I think it also says a lot that um, just his response when it's brought up because, like you said, it's not mentioned through the rest of the movie. Obviously, we know that he meets Kitty while he's having this affair with Florence Pugh's character. Yeah. Um, but when that gets brought up towards the end, he's like, oh no. Tolman never found out like he he, he yeah. didn't know and like he just says it so flippantly it's like oh it means like nothing to him like that's and it's just like a small quick moment like if you if you stepped away to refill your water real quick you <laughs> completely missed it um one of the things I really like that once the bomb gets shipped off and and he's kind of waiting for the bombs to get dropped and for the war to end basically the rest of the movie it's a question of does he actually want the fame is that something he Mm -hmm. is interested in or does he just want to punish himself now for the rest of his life like what does he want and maybe he wants both maybe he wants maybe it's he's constantly back you know bouncing back and forth because he can't make up his mind um I don't know. I, I, it's interesting because I, I know there was some criticism when the movie came out of like, oh, we don't see like any of the deaths in Japan. We don't see the bombs getting dropped and all that stuff. I think that's on purpose. Yeah. I think like because we get the very pointed scene where him and a bunch of other people are being shown the footage of the damage that was done and he can't look at it. Yeah. And I almost feel like the movie needs to have like a bright neon sign that's <laughs> flashing that says 
theme. Think about <laughs> this. Why would we do this this way? Yeah. And it's like, no, no, no. Obviously, like, what happened was horrendous, and he can't face the consequences of his actions. Like, it's the exact same. Kitty basically said that to him after he finds out that that Florence Pugh's character is dead. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You don't. She's you like, don't you don't. To, you don't yeah. get. Yeah. Go ahead. You don't get to commit the sin and then expect us all to have pity for you when there are consequences. Mm-hmm. neon sign yeah. theme <laughs> one of the things that I, I remember reading a review when the movie came out and they talked about the opening shot being of the ripples and and i like i don't know anything about science i don't know this stuff but i thought a lot about that this viewing of ripple effects both literally but also the way the the circles in the water were sort of forming in each other and circles within circles and things were reverberating back and a lot of lines of dialogue are repeated throughout yeah. the movie. So like you'll hear, and maybe it was like you heard it in the past and then you hear it in the present or you hear it in the present and then you heard it in the past and you're constantly seeing lines of dialogue come back, themes come back. I feel like in the score, that music is, is, is inverting on itself. Um, again, Which I can't this was that. Re- real quick. This is Ludwig Gornson. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Who yeah. I kind of complained about his tenant score. It didn't quite work for me, but this this score I this think is, is fantastic. Stunning. Until I hear the boy from the heron, the boy in the heron score. This is my probably my favorite of the sure. year. Um, but anyway, it's uh, it's really beautiful, and I think that th- this movie is is and that is the kind of thing Nolan would do, where he was like, well, in this type of science, quantum physics, uh, there's repetition and and sequence. Uh, he he would figure out how to structure a movie like that in a way, and structure the dialogue like that in a way. But it is also, it's kind of akin to one of my favorite bits in Halt and Catch Fire, where at one point, I think Carrie Bechet's character says, good is the enemy of perfect. And Lee Pace at another time in that season says, perfect is the enemy of good. That might be reverted. And they're in two totally different scenes, but it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And I think this movie does that really beautifully, where you have like the consequences thing, and then you have the, the... uh, oh God, I can't remember now. But there were there were a bunch, several lines of dialogue that you hear multiple times, like he, the "I am death" and everything that you hear. I know there's, I know there's one that gets repeated. I think Alden Ehrenreich maybe says it to Strauss at the end. I can't remember. I know it's Strauss. I, I want to say says it earlier. The last thing he I, says I know is uh, maybe they're talking about something more important, or go, maybe it's "Power hides in the shadows," something like that. I feel like that comes back. Lines. Yeah, there's yeah. there's something there. Anyway, it's good stuff. <laughs> yes. Uh, one of the other criticisms that I remember when the movie came out was um, how the female characters are treated. Which I, I, I've tried to, to kind of sit on that one a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Just because, you know, with a lot of the movies that we do, I mean, even, you know, we really liked most of the, the female performances in, in Dead Reckoning last week. But obviously we complained about how um yeah. one of the main female characters was handled in that and like that you know particularly with like franchise films or something you know that's something that that you know comes up often enough to be <laughs> to be a talking point yeah um once again i feel like this one is kind of thematically like it's done for a reason particularly with how florence Pugh's character is handled because there's the running thread that he continues to bring her flowers and she's like i don't want these and she's constantly throwing yeah. them in the trash and just the whole idea that like because that section is oppenheimer's perspective and like it's so subjective like he he just doesn't understand her and he's not going to understand her 
and that's why we don't know anything about her. Yeah. She's she's apparently a communist. They have some mutual friends, and she wants to sleep with him. That's all we get. And, and like, I because he's not really interested in getting to know her because they're just having an affair. And then he leaves and goes and, and lives with his family and, and works on on building a bomb. Like, I I don't know that. All, all of that stuff that, that you know, people – and, of course, you know, who knows how much of this is just like, you know, Twitter nonsense versus like actual criticism. But a lot of the stuff I'm like, okay, I feel like some of the stuff that could be like very superficially criticized is done on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I feel like Nolan's far enough in his career that he's earned a little bit of credit in that regard. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think – and with Nolan specifically, I think people sometimes, I mean, we we probably talked about it when we were going through his movies of like his female characters are not usually particularly strong um, or they kind of end up being as, being sort of objects for the main characters. But I think, I think Florence Pugh definitely is. And that is, I agree, kind of on purpose. Um, I'm not, I'm not decided on how I feel about the nudity of yeah at all. <laughs> the fact that that's, included and also is that is part of that just because he wanted this movie to be rated r because he wanted it to like yeah. register differently like i feel like there's it, enough f-bombs that that's true i guess that would that. have pushed it over the edge anyway i don't know um i don't know it's interesting and i don't i'm curious like how florence Pugh felt about that sure. and also uh like she works with disney and the mcu and like if they if they have if disney is like oh we can't have uh yelena Bo- belova i mean admittedly if any of their uh, characters were going to she's probably not <laughs> as sure but she's gonna be in thunderbolts i think maybe or yeah. maybe she's not i don't know um the, not to like immediately be like here's the thread we can talk about the mcu with but it, it is something that came again to mind, like, tyler this again is, we'll, we'll talk about the christopher nolan secret wars fan I cast was literally we'll, gonna we'll, we'll get there um but just no. pull this cast over into secret wars <laughs> i mean i mean we'll talk about it uh that's not that was not where i was going with it but now it is uh <laughs> <laughs> but i think it's i think it's interesting because it is hard to see those scenes and not be like thinking it because we've seen florence pune so much it's not it's hard not to be like what that's an interesting choice for her to go with because it is like very straight it's not it's not like hidden or anything it's very straightforward and i think part of that is is definitely like oppenheimer's perspective of her it's like oh he just thinks she's hot like that's right that's kind of the long and short of it and then he's got his legs crossed yeah he's protected um i will also say like the sex scene between them at the when they first meet is very frank like it's not sensual mm-hmm. you know it's not erotic they have a conversation and then there's sex but later when uh he is talking uh, he's recounting the affair and we cut back to them sitting in hotel room chairs looking at each other and being naked and they cut back to the trial and he's naked um mm-hmm. and then you start getting into like we are now in uh, a figurative imagery where he is completely vulnerable, but then we see Kitty, we see Florence Pugh naked on him. They're having sex, yeah. and now Kitty's watching. That is yeah. a much more passionate scene. The way that Florence Pugh is moving, the way she's looking at Emily Blunt in this very taunting way. So Emily Blunt is imagining this very passionate, you know, 
uh, torrid affair of affection and lust. But then we've actually witnessed it as Oppenheimer did, which is very matter of fact and not really that erotic at all. Um, yeah, it's almost like colder and more upsetting. Right. <laughs> like... And and likewise, we never see any kind of like real physical intimacy between him and Emily Blunt. That how does he view her? Um, and and that she's there, there's flirtation certainly, but they, we never see it. There's no sex scene. There's no like they don't really kiss or anything. So that's I don't know. That's something I'm just now thinking about. But and then we never see yeah, anything can... with Tolman's wife, and that may also be for the surprise reveal. But still, yeah. yeah all, uh, most of what we know about Kitty is that she likes booze. She hates being a mother. <laughs> She's had but fifteen she, husbands, right? <laughs> but and, and she respects Oppenheimer's work. Yeah. See, and this is the maybe it's a low bar that I I look at her and I'm like I feel like she is probably one of the stronger, not the strongest female characters Nolan's had, uh, because of the way that she she is basically like Oppenheimer. You need to defend yourself. Yeah. Like she want to call him Oppenheimer, but you know what I mean. Um, um, she's like why aren't you defending our family and then she goes up onto the the trial and is basically like totally attacking jason clark uh in a very fun scene where she just like completely deflects everything and ignores like totally i guess just shreds the yeah the the way that he tries to question and it's just like no i'm just gonna like poke poke at your grammar yeah like make fun of things and like she shows me like you're all stupid and, 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 I th- then, and then as she walked out, she said, and by the way, you're the worst John Connor. And she slammed the door. <laughs> There's a great no, part. Uncalled for. She points out like something and like, oh, would you want to do that? And one like old guy who's sitting next to Tony yeah. Golden is like, that's a good point. <laughs> Who, who's kind of like implied to be the most sympathetic. And I think at the end is confirmed to be the guy that gives rights. A, um, yeah. What do you call it? A dissenting, dissenting right. voice. Yeah, yeah. dissenting opinion. Because um, I know that yeah. uh, Macon Blair from Green Room and Jeremy Sol- Jeremy mm-hmm. Solnier's movies, he's like Oppenheimer's representation. Um, and then everybody else in the room is <laughs> yes <laughs> against him. It's funny. Um, but yeah, and I think with Kitty too, there's also the moment where uh, there's this this friction between uh, Oppenheimer and Edward Teller, who's played by Benny Softy. Yeah, yeah. If I've got it right, I th- this. <laughs> You could you could line up uh, a list of actors and their names in this movie on one of those sheets where it's like, oh, do the matching, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. draw the line between which is which. And it would be my trip you up. Yeah. <laughs> trip you up. I, um, I will say, it, going back to your original point about the cast, it was very helpful to have recognizable faces. But yeah. as people started to disappear in the second half and they kept mentioning names, yeah. <laughs> that's where I started to get lost, even on a rewatch. Like toward, like the latter like 20, 30 minutes where they just kept bringing people's names up. I'm like, no, no, no. This is when you have you cut back and show me a quick sure. snippet. Yeah. Please. Now I need the flashbacks. Nolan, I need, I need the flashbacks. Well, that's I'm so why it sorry helped I help. doubted you before. And again, this is where the Amazon spotlight helps because I can go, Benny Softy at Teller. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rami Malik is David Hill. No, he's not. He's maybe <laughs> David Quasorg, but he's not. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Um, anyway, but te- there's a, the point where Teller, uh, 
the entire movie is is fighting with Oppenheimer over like we need to build an H bomb, we need to build a bigger bomb. That's really yeah. like the the next step. That's the that's the goal. Um, and and Oppenheimer is kind of wishy washy the entire time. Um, and then he testifies in the the backroom trial and is like Oppenheimer is uh, a loyal man, but also he you know he does. I don't understand where he stands on a lot of the issues that this involves. So I don't think I would, I would rather it be someone else involved in, in this. Like, I don't actually think that he's good for the role. Um, and then Oppenheimer shakes his hand and uh, Kitty is like, why? Mm-hmm. And, and, <laughs> no. and then, and, and then Benny Safty he pulls down a Bane mask and goes, pull the core out of the reactor. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> it's a fusion device in, in Dark Knight Rises. That's yeah, all I know. It's there. It's there something um but then at the very end kitty does not shake his hand when they're at all at the metal yeah. ceremony for oppenheimer um and that's kind of the last i think note that we get of her uh and he he just kind of was like okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> i will go over and shake her hand yeah um so I, I think i really like her character i think that she's and again we're talking about a historical narrative so i and i don't know exactly how much is is or is not right accurate or how much was played with i'm sure there is a lot because i mean it's adapting from a book which presumably already is synthesizing a lot of sources and may not be 100 percent accurate it's probably like trying to tell a certain story and it's going to pull sources from where they make the most sense so like there's several layers here that i'm sure there's stuff being missed and there's stuff that is kind of convenient or, or shifted um but her character in terms of the movie i think works really well um for that reason of being someone that is like the polar opposite of Oppenheimer where she is driven and wants him to actually take a stand for something and (laughs) believe in something and say like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, I I like her as the the counterpart to him. I I felt, I don't feel this way the first time and I I still feel this way. It feels to me like the performance is clipped. I don't know exactly what that means to me, but it feels like the whole performance isn't in the movie. I don't know if that's a screen time thing or what, but I just feel like I don't have the entire thing from Emily Blunt. Um, maybe it is, some of it is just as a result of, of what you know, Tyler's talking about. I don't know, but I like Emily Blunt a lot. I think Emily Blunt's great. Um, but but yeah, some something just never really fully hit. I think she's good in the movie, but nothing hit me to to in this to, to get me to loving the performance um but there you are I, I think it's very easy for a person to look at this and go well yeah she's got 40s and 50s styling and she yells at her husband like of course she's gonna get an oscar nomination give her a brooklyn accent and she'll win <laughs> yeah. like that's how the oscars yeah. work gary oldman played a by bio- a historical figure he got an oscar of course he did what do you think we're doing here um but i i think that to a degree, I think that'll be true for a lot of Oscar voters, but I also think that it's a little more special than that, a little more specific than that, because it's Nolan, I, because it's Blunt. Yes, I really like that scene between her and Jason Clark. I think that's... Oh, sure, that's yeah, that, my, that like, is, yeah. That's the standout. That's um, the Oscar. And I don't yeah. know that that's, like, a scene that you can then be like, give her best supporting actress. Sure. But... Yeah. No, I it's, it's, it's a, a good scene. It's a very good scene, yeah. Uh, real quick, in terms of historical accuracy... I didn't do a deep dive on this and uh, comparing it to American Prometheus. I don't know. Um, my understanding is that the plot point at the beginning that he tries to poison one of his teachers with uh, putting cyanide in into an apple. 
apparently that was that didn't happen um or like was a rumor at one point or I, sure. yeah. there's something about that that i don't think that actually may have happened i didn't really understand yeah. it as as red anyway so i mean i get what well, happened the, but i don't know what his reason was for well i think it was supposed to be just a very impulsive thing yeah, like he yeah. like he is not great with people so he he can be very vindictive I mean, I think, he was like, I think you're, you're, you're Jarvis? You're who becomes Vision by namesake? No way. Yeah. I don't know. We get uh we, we we get our we get our favorite boy with the accents, Kenneth Branagh, and he's not horribly distracting in this. No. He's actually pretty good. Yeah. Right. I who would you rather fight? I <laughs> Who I, I want to? Who do you think would win in an accent off between him and DiCaprio? Branagh. <laughs> Branagh. Yeah, <clears throat> I think I'd go Branagh. Yeah. I, I I give that to Branagh ninety nine times out of a hundred. <laughs> Branagh from Wild Wild West versus uh, DiCaprio from Django. <laughs> I I like Kenneth Branagh in Wild Wild West. <laughs> we're not we're not going to do that movie. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, you said you agreed with a lot of what his character says, right? You find him aspirational? <laughs> We're not. No. No. You didn't say that. Just, just so that's on the record. No. <laughs> no, he plays Nils Bohr, which is funny to me because yeah. of one mystery science theater joke. But sure. still enjoyable that Kenneth Branagh plays Nils Bohr. It, it's fun that this movie gets a chance to be like, yeah, Bohr, Heisenberg. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, Einstein's around. Like oh it's God. fun that we get some of these scientists who who are just like yeah that's a real scientist <laughs> yeah he's here the way they use Einstein in this movie is so great because there mm-hmm. is a sense of not pageantry but a sense of awe and a sense of reverence and yeah. like this is Einstein and I was like it's funny to me how we don't have to my knowledge the like oh this is the Einstein biopic that's true you know what I mean I'm not saying I want one um, but David O Russell you stay away from that. But I think, um, oh, you know, you know, he could convince Christian Bale to play Einstein. You just know it. Um, and I'm, I'm, I know people have played him. I think he's probably done TV miniseries or whatever about him. But like, it's interesting that as recognizable a figure as he is, that we've never had that in in the mo- yeah. in, in in this kind of sense. Um, Tom Conti plays him in the movie very, very well. I just love how he's used. That there's, there's no, there's no need to introduce him. There's no need to contextualize him. It's just like that's Einstein, and you're like, oh yeah, he's a huge deal, and I'm seeing it in a movie. This is so cool because I don't get that, I, don't, I get to have that feeling as often anymore. Where I get to go, oh my god, that person's in a movie. See, that's one of those really cool instances where Nolan is able to bring back an actor that he's used previously. Because he plays the doctor in Dark Knight Rises that snaps Batman's spine back into place. Oh. Yeah. Um, and he says, it's all relative. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really like that Nolan does that. And of course, like, um, you know, he'll just pull in random actors all the time. Like, I know, like Matthew Modine, he, he yeah. uses in this. But like, he pulls in in Dark Knight Rises. And you're like, whoa, Matthew Modine's in this? <laughs> um, like, he... he like on top of having like the big cast of like yeah. oh there's a bunch of people you recognize, um like he just goes for surprise picks. Here's Josh like, Hartnett. Yeah, Josh Hartnett. Um, 
who I really like in this, he's and I kind of feel like he should be in more of it. But yeah, he's, he's very good. Yeah, and everyone um, thought he was Val Kilmer for a minute. <laughs> I mean, including me. <laughs> um, yeah, this cast is just wild. Like, I, I'm just looking at, at the list, and like, I, I'm I'm scrolling down the Rotten Tomatoes page, and I get to the fourth line, and it's Jason Clark and, and Jack Quaid. That's the, the yep. fourth line down. Yep. It was really <laughs> funny watching the movie and seeing who gets the billing in the credits. That it was like with this person and Rami Malik, and I was like, "Don't do that." Right. I know he has an Oscar, <laughs> and I like Rami yeah. Malek. Rami Malek's a great actor. Great. He actor. at least does get the like linchpin moment of like, actually, I kind of hate Strauss for what he did to Oppenheimer, yeah. and you shouldn't give him this position. Yeah. It was Eisenhower, by the way. I looked it up. Okay, Eisenhower is mad about it. That's not Oppenheimer. There I killed go. him. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, Rami Malek's great. He silly that he has the Oscar for the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. But whatever, that's not his we'll fault. He's great. We'll take it. You can, you can, you don't have, you can, you can fill in the other performances you like from him and be like, yeah, that's true. Oscar winner, Rami Malik. He's won an Oscar. Yes. Look at this no great time to die. Don't, don't look too closely at which one he won it for. Yeah. Mr. Um, Robot. I, I do. We, we probably have other things. Before I get into my silly cast ramblings, uh, we probably have other things we can talk about in this movie. Or maybe not. I don't know. What else? What else do we need to get into? Oh, I, I just wanted to mention uh, Michael Angarano is in this. Yes. Our, uh, the, the star All of right, Sky you're gonna High. All right, you're going to make me do Alex, it. don't <laughs> let Tyler. You're going to make me, you're going to make me, ju- I'll, I'll rip off the Band-Aid. So there's <laughs> I, two I, groups. So, somebody had to start it, okay? Somebody there's, had to start it. There's two groups of, of, of actors in this that I'm, I'm fascinated by. Uh, one is there are four different actors who are like actors that you would, recognize if you were watching nickelodeon and like you know between 05 and 10 uh-huh. um which makes me feel like uh christopher nolan did just like have a lot of nickelodeon on the house or something i don't did they even get nickelodeon in, in britain i don't know i don't uh, know how that works uh which is the bbc i don't know britain, do they um, britain do you get nickelodeon <laughs> i um, listen man i used to nowadays they got <laughs> Uncle Grandpa or whatever. I don't get any of that stuff. That's probably on Country Network. Probably. Um, it is It is Michael Angarano from Sky High, who is a scientist man. He gets a couple lines. And Pen15. Um, there you go. Um, Alex Wolf, who obviously yeah. has done other things, but he was in the Naked Brothers Band. Yeah. Like he's one of the students early on. With his brother, um, Dick Wolf. <laughs> Come on, yeah. Naked Brothers. We got to play this. Um, David Krumholtz, uh, who we know as, uh, I, I just realized I wrote down his name as Elf and now I can't, now I can't uh, he, like Bernard, Bernard. There we go. Bernard from the Santa Claus movies. Uh-huh. Um, he's plays... really good in this, by the way. Yes. Uh, and Isadora. Also, yeah. I forget his first name. Uh, is, but... uh, Isidore Robbie or no, other way around. Yeah. Yeah. Isidore Robbie. Isidore. Yeah. He's also a good Instagram follow. seems like a nice guy. Um, oh, there you go. He's, yeah, he's I really like him in this. Really good in this. It is weird because because Tyler in our group chat you had talked about like oh is this like one of the most definitive movies with like this large a cast and and I, I can't remember if David Crumholtz in particular came up but I I was like this is so fascinating to me because one of my favorite comedies is This Is the End, mm-hmm. the Seth Rogen comedy, and David Crumholtz is in that too. <laughs> And that, like that, that, that is another movie that's just like, we just got cameos all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's just like random people show up and it's, I'm like, is that, is that just a thing? Does he just like doing that? Does he just Maybe. like, 
Maybe he's just like a nice dude. People are like, yeah. hey, jump on a set for a little bit. Like, um, like he is the one guy that gets invited to all the parties because he's that nice a guy. Maybe. I'd buy it. <laughs> um, our, our fourth guy is Josh Beck, of course. Yeah. Drake and Josh. Yeah. Um, and the new reboot of that one show where it's the detective and the dog. I don't, I've already. Oh, Turner and Hooch. Yeah, yeah, the Disney Plus reboot of that that I think I watched like 15 minutes of because yeah. I felt like it. Uh, um, you were like, well, come on, bring on the dancing lobsters. What is this? <laughs> Which, if this is like, is this if this is the track where we can like, then the next Nolan movie, he's in like a bigger, yeah, like like everyone else he's in this movie is like, oh, that was really fun. Now we got to go do our big leading roles. And like, he's sure. like, I'm still here. And then he gets to go like take a step up and do, you know, some sort of supporting role and then eventually you know 20 years from now we get the josh peck biopic by christopher nolan that's um, you know i don't know what who yeah. he'd play maybe that's maybe that's your einstein who, who, <laughs> can you do, can you do a right. german accent all right all right tyler tyler because uh, because we pitched this for a long time uh interception football movie who does josh peck play oh my goodness oh my first thought is like uh what is what does Dan Marino look like? <laughs> I don't know why that just sticks in my brain. There's like a few quarterbacks that I think you could definitely that could work. Look up look up a picture of Dan Marino if you're if you don't the new know him. Of Dan Marino. Uh, that could that could work. Dan that could work. Uh, All right. Yeah, that's but, but, that's a Josh Peck right there. <laughs> one, one of those one of those old school quarterbacks. I think is who you got to go with. Sure. Is yeah. like somebody who is like big and you know. Now I'm I'm gonna I'm not even gonna say anything because I'm gonna mess up my see the problem like Britain you've talked about how you when you go for sports references you like hit the top of the yeah, top of the list and quick, then you're like yeah. I feel silly I'm like oh yeah I know these names and then I'm like well, I know nothing about them. <laughs> I, I can't I can't place years or anything so uh, I'll, Dan I'll leave it there, but... where's the football and he passed it so good. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So what's our second? <laughs> they group they of keep actors? calling it the the end zone instead of the end zone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a very obscure Drake and Josh reference that I'm not going to explain, and I hope I hope someone else gets it. <laughs> I think Alex does. I can't tell for sure though. I I, oh, see, I, I thought the furthest we were going to go was the dancing lobsters, and then you carried it further. Yes. You know correct. this is this is good. Um, this is very my, good. Chris Collis, we've got yes. we've got your next movie right here. <laughs> um. My uh, my other group that I wanted to highlight is that there are three actors in here who are Halloween franchise alums, um, which is sort of cheating because two of them are from the most recent ones. Uh, yeah, yeah. But Josh Hartnett, is, is, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's son at age two O, and then Dylan Arnold is the jerk boyfriend who is killed. I think in Halloween kills at the end maybe, but he's around in Halloween and he's dating Jamie Lee Curtis's grandson, granddaughter. Flipped it, um, and then Jefferson Hall plays Chevalier, and he is the podcaster dude yeah. who gets murdered. Yeah, who dies way too early in that movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in Halloween twenty eighteen. So, and he's also on Vikings with Gustav Skarsgård, who's one of the there scientists. It's a whole web. Like I almost, I that was those were the two that I just wanted to make yeah. sure I like made notes. The of Halloween was wild, um, but then uh, you could also look at like who are all the actual alums because you got. Kenneth Branagh, and we haven't even mentioned Matt Damon yet, I think. Uh. <laughs> we, we've spent an hour talking about a movie with Matt Damon in it, and we have not mentioned Matt Damon. I think well, that says something. Well, 
on on the one hand, it is kind of like, oh, that is the Matt Damon role. Like, it is very, like, not super surprising that he would do something like that. But also, he does it so dang well. He's really good (laughs) in this. (laughs) Like, he brings a lot of levity to a part that you would, like, he is the military man who is just barking orders at people. But he's actually really funny and very charismatic. He's very funny. No, he's terrific in it. He doesn't hate me. He he doesn't hate America. He hates me. (laughs) Like... Mm -hmm. I'm just kidding. We won't have him killed. <laughs> like, like, like the montage very... where they're talking to all the scientists and the one guy's like, yeah, but why would I go out there? And then he just yells at him. He's like, because this is the most important thing to ever happen in the history of the universe. And then he just like storms off. And then Oppenheimer, it's great. Oppenheimer does like a little nod. That's like the wrong reaction. To right. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. Like you press the wrong button. on The, <laughs> the, the yeah. dialogue. No, he's, uh, he's, Fantastic. I mean, I love um, Matt Damon on principle, but he's very, very good in this. It's very Tommy Lee Jones in First Avenger. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's reminiscent, which is a good, like a really good performance. Again, oh, yeah. we talk about that. Like, that was the performance where Tommy Lee Jones understood how to act in a superhero movie. Um, it, it's, it's, it's very fun, and it, like, yeah, it, it adds this uh, extra... So, because he never really there's never really a point where there's like a conflict between him and Oppenheimer and I think that helps to have someone who it's like there is someone out there who kind of have has Oppenheimer's back yeah. in this big government infrastructure that uh, otherwise is is sort of using him and turning on him um, and I think that that plays well uh, I, I like I like the way he he plays the trial where yes. he's kind of like yeah I probably wouldn't clear Oppenheimer but I wouldn't clear like any of these people because you've totally changed the system and uh-huh. you know kind of tries to i think i think that might be another point where the the one guy who ends up dissenting at the end of the trial thing uh says like asks him like what do you do you doubt his loyalty and then he's like absolutely not um so there's kind of a nice i think that's like the send off for his character um yeah well, why why have Matt Damon be mean to your protagonist when Dane DeHaan is standing right behind him? <laughs> Dane DeHaan, all, I, I had this thought watching this. Is Dane DeHaan going to have a better career the older he gets? Like, was he just someone they tried to make hit That's too young? Because in this, he's he's not like, they're not trying to make him like the young. Well, I mean, he's not old at all, but like, I don't know. I thought he was quite good in this as like the evil henchman <laughs> to uh, uh, whomever. Yeah, I feel like, because he, really, when he's playing, like, immature, bratty teenager, he's really only got one mode. Yeah. And that works really well for Chronicle and, like, yeah. not the other roles that they kind of forced him in. Like, Valyrian. Yeah. Like, that's not that's not a Dane DeHaan yeah. role yeah. that they kind of just stuck him in. Um, or even, to a, to a lesser degree, uh, Harry Osborn in... Uh, the second Amazing Spider-Man, like I, I don't feel like that's the best fit for him. But yeah, I think as he as he gets older, like I, I don't know if he's just developing more range or just sure. like just the fact that he is more mature just adds more to his performance. Yeah, it's a kind of aging into his his skill set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that might be this. it. Maybe. Yeah. And our our boy Jack Quaid, there he is, doing a mm-hmm. couple of things, playing the bongos, play some bongos. Oh my man, love him. Squints into some light. Yeah. Saying I got the glass to protect me from the UV. I was like, that's not how that works, Jack. Okay. The image of him. So he's sitting in the car. Benny Safdie's next to him, just like bathing (laughs) his face in in sun lotion. Yeah. 
Um, and then Josh Hartnett gets in the car with Jack Quaid. I'm like, this is the, one of the weirdest visuals I've seen this year. <laughs> Just the, these three people these three, in frame. And they're, it's like three minor characters. Yeah. Right. It's just like, yeah, they they get some screen time. They just know each other. No, Quaid Josh is... Hartnett's that's my guy. around for most of the movie, but like... He's, yeah. And um, David Dalsamal. Shion is a very important character. He's mm-hmm. Borden, um, who I guess has a file or doesn't have some about a file. Um, he gets uh, past a file from Strauss. Nichols, who is Dane DeHaan, yes, 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 yes. with Strauss kind of overseeing it. Yeah. And overseeing the, the transaction to be like, hey, this none of this is like new information, but just go like represent it as if it is a new conclusion, yeah. and then this will give us the ammo to go after Oppenheimer. We need um, we need an independent investigator, if yeah. you know yeah. what I mean. One, it's 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 one of it's nice seeing Dustin Moshan get to be quote unquote normal. Um, I really mm-hmm. enjoy him in po- in a uh, as Polka Dot Man in Suicide Squad. He's very good in that. But uh, it was I don't know. I just he's a good actor. Well, it's 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 either he's like quirky weird or he's yeah. like dark depressing weird. Right, right, right. Yeah. And and like this one is just he's a guy. He's a man. There <laughs> he is. Um, we haven't really talked about any of the technical stuff, but uh there's not apparently there's not a ton of uh CG in this, if at mm-hmm. all. Apparently all of the, the explosions and the effects are done in camera. Which was wild when I first heard it because there are a lot of like atoms floating around and stuff and like yeah. things where he's kind of envisioning yeah. what the the layer under the universe is um and then we i think have learned since then or at least i have learned since then that there is like there was a lot of like actual like models and stuff and like things set up in a certain way to allow for this to look a certain way uh which is crazy and very christopher nolan um <laughs> like to go and do that instead of just being like hey this would be a really easy thing to do with cgi yeah, yeah. it would probably look fine um and the bomb itself is the the explosion we see which again talking about the the fact that it is focused on what oppenheimer has unleashed into the world and not necessarily his guilt over specifically how it was used in japan um we only ever see the the test bomb which i think is a, again a smart choice and like that's like that's really the point is like, what is he, what door is he opening? Um, and yeah, I, there are people who've complained about this a little bit, who have said that like the, the explosions are not big enough. Um, I, I think it's, I, I really like the way it's done because a, it's dark. It's at night. And I think there's a really haunting, there's a lot of really, really close views of fire broiling and rising and, the entire explosion kind of like the mushroom cloud disappears into the the darkness and it's very haunting. Um, I like paid attention to it specifically this time around because I'd heard people say like they should have just gotten test footage or or something else. But I, I think it's eerie and effective yeah. and I really like when obviously the true to science way that they do it where it's they see the explosion way off in the distance and then they all get hit by the uh, the wave of ripple and sound and chaos yeah, a fantastic use of sound for yes, a theater yes. going experience like i even because i saw the movie a, a couple times in theaters and even the second time because i knew when it was coming like even still i was like you yeah. know pushed back in my seat practically <laughs> very good yeah and it looks beautiful it's hoyt van hoytema who he's he's obviously worked with before it looks like a christopher nolan movie which is to say lovely <laughs> it's, 
I think it's cut really, really nicely. It it just not just in terms of between the two. I don't know. It's it's his technical stuff is always very, very good. So there's a great shot. Oh god. Honestly, there's a great moment where they were uh they're like, Why are we all wearing military uniforms? We're not soldiers. Like, why do they have you walking around like that? Just let him let Oppenheimer be Oppenheimer, basically. And then they have a this like shot of him putting on his trilby, putting on his hat and kind of tilting it and getting his pipe. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> this is like Terminator putting on his sunglasses. Well, I, I really like that just because it's playing very much into the iconography of this historical right, figure. Right. And it's like, it's very pointed of like, no, this is how history remembers him. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is like where that stems from. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I really liked all that stuff when they're actually um, at Los Alamos, like building mm-hmm. everything and like constructing this town. And of course there's the, the mention of like, Oh yeah, the, the native Americans come up here for burial rites and whatever we can just, you know, we'll build the town here. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and then Oppenheimer, when he's when he's talking to, to Truman, he's like, oh, we can just give it back to, to the Indians, right? And then he's like, no, we got to keep building more, more. Um, uh, have we talked about Truman yet and who plays him? No, we have not. <laughs> <laughs> I missed this entirely in the, in the theater, and, and I think you all had to point it out to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's just there. There being a jerk. Well, <laughs> cameo is, is the president. kind of funny. <laughs> and it's very good. He's he's a jerk yeah. to Oppenheimer. And yeah. Just like, because I mean that's a really good uh, that again goes back to the thing of like Oppenheimer is coming out here saying I you know I feel like I have blood on my hands I I I I'm very sort of disturbed by what we've done and Truman's like I dropped the bombs yeah get out of here get that crybaby don't let that crybaby <laughs> back quit, in here quit, quit trying to steal my glory <laughs> I won World War Two <laughs> you jerk. I um, I like the scene in Lincoln where they go, Mr. President, do you mean that? And he puts on his big tall hat and he turns to the camera and says, honestly. And then they play, <laughs> and then they play, you shook me all night long by ACDC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Speaking now I know I want that to be how this movie ends, where Oppenheimer is like filled with existential dread, and he's seeing more visions of like bombs going off, and then you shook me all night long. You was a fast machine, motor clean. <laughs> Somebody get on YouTube and edit that. Do do it, please. I think, I think there is a there is a a clip somewhere that someone's made using Lincoln Park over this over some part oh, yeah. of this movie, I believe. Well, I know I know people like like doing the, the clips of like, oh, it's this movie, but it came out in 2007. Yeah. And and yeah. then they just end it with um what I've done. Yeah. Right. Which is Transformers very, movie, very right. funny for this and, yeah. particular movie. Um I <laughs> but yeah, I do really like <laughs> I do really like the ending. Um basically we learned that the entire conversation that Strauss built began building his uh vendetta against oppenheimer about is a conversation where oppenheimer says to einstein like hey i came to check with you about whether or not this explosion could actually ignite the atmosphere uh 
and and we kind of decided it, it it probably wouldn't i think we were i think maybe in the end we were right like thematically symbolically <clears throat> figuratively uh we we may have still set the the earth towards uh or or at least humanity towards destruction um and then we get the haunting image of everything blowing up around him and the earth igniting uh it's really it's really good it's very i think it's a very a very good way to leave you thinking about this movie long after you've finished it and be like yeah this is an important thing for you to yeah. consider <laughs> and like you should continue to think about this and how do you feel about oppenheimer how do you feel about the way we've handled nuclear warfare like I don't know. It, it asks a lot of thought-provoking questions and then, like, finds a very good way to make you continue thinking about those questions. It's like, we're not going to answer this. We don't know. <laughs> like, well, well, I like, Oppenheimer I like how, didn't know. Einstein didn't know. Well, that's why I like how, how the questions at the end, it, it kind of transcends the man. And it's like, yes, we've mm -hmm. been focusing on how much this guy struggled with this, and now you have to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now everyone of... has to deal with it. I, I don't know. That... that that ending and like the visions that he has that is so yeah. effectively done just to like really drive the point home yeah it's it's almost sort of a a turnkey as well for like what oppenheimer is why he's been struggling so much because we i don't think we've even talked about the scene where he immediately after the the bombs successfully are, are dropped he goes and goes in front of everyone from los alamos and like the gym they're all in the bleachers and there's this it's a really nice effect that is actually seated way earlier in the movie and you don't know what it's about until you get to the scene um but when i noticed this when it's seated earlier in the movie it's always after the scene has happened like he's remembering it um where the, there is this place where he's basically giving a rousing speech of like ah too bad we couldn't have used these on the germans uh and meanwhile he's imagining everyone being yeah. annihilated by the thing that they just spent all this time working on and like skin peeling off and yeah, yeah, yeah. people having being charred and cremated alive basically like it's it's uh it's very haunting and i think it i think having that be the end and having that be the thing again of like alden ehrenreich says to strauss you know what if they were talking about something something more important and the answer is yeah the entire time he's just been preoccupied the reason he hasn't really stood up for himself and the reason he's kind of just been like uh, is because he has been has realized what he's done and has just been ruminating on it for like the rest of his life <laughs> because he's yeah. like oh god what did i do um yeah it's haunting it's really good that is the other thing is my best friend alden ehrenreich is in it and he's great because mm -hmm. he's always great and i love him yeah they also keep flashing back to a, or strauss keeps going back to a sort of hearing kind of trialish thing where Oppenheimer is making everybody laugh during his testimony. Like, yep. we could use a beer bottle or a sandwich. And it's, you know, funny. Um, that scene was pretty appealing to me because the guy, he's not really heavily in focus, but the guy who's um, giving the questions, um, the prosecutor or whatever he was, is Jeff Hefner, who is in, who's one of the doctors in Interstellar. He was also one of the doctors mm. on Chicago Med. <laughs> oh yeah, it's got it's got everybody. My yeah. town. This is really the uh, the 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 culmination of, <laughs> of American media. The Chicago Nation. God, uh, we just got an all Chicago Med in this movie. Big great. Oliver Platt would kill. Um, 
but yeah, so that made me happy as I got my little Chicago med. There you go. <laughs> dose. There you go. Not even mad about it. No. Good. Not, I'm not even mad about it. <laughs> um, that's that's another scene that I think we see. Yeah, multiple times we see it in different in colors and, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think early on, because they try and play it off as more joking, and they yes, cut back to yeah. Strauss, and he's like trying to laugh it off, and and you know, trying to you know, play it cool. Yeah, and then we cut back to it later, and he's just like, "Oh, I'm gonna destroy this man." Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. is extremely good mm-hmm. in it. Um, currently, I would say the favorite to win the Oscar. Um, it, it's really interesting in Barbenheimer and all that. Um, but in a lot of ways, there's there's really no reason to compare Barbie and Oppenheimer aside from the cultural phenomenon that they mm-hmm. were. But I will say, I think there's a lot to compare or a lot, or a lot to, to a lot of similarities between Downey and Gosling in these movies where both of them are kind of going back to their roots in a way, but also playing against type. Downey's not playing Iron Man. He's doing something more subtle, but beautifully so. Gosling is not doing a drama. He's doing a very big, broad comedy, but he's going back to doing song and dance and stuff. They're both fantastic performances. I think either way is a great win, but like Downey is 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 just really, really good. And it's the kind of thing where it's very easy with actors to, once we see them do something different, assume that it's brilliant. One of my least favorite pieces of marketing or film responses: a funny comedian did a serious movie. Like they can do that. They can. Yeah, that happens. They, and no, they can't do that. That's against the rules. Like yeah, certain. Like I get why. Like Will Ferrell doing a drama at first is a little unusual, or Jim Carrey or something. The first time you see it, but like Robin Williams did a ton of dramatic movies. Like mm-hmm. and and like De Niro doing comedy for. A minute was interesting and um well and, and well once once you jump back you you jump once that's you get one you free, john once, c Riley can't can't jump back and forth yeah exactly tony collette yeah. god knows she can't do whatever she wants <laughs> every everyone who jumped from drama over to to comedy for right. knives out they no you can't do yeah. it comedies for the rest of your career yeah. i'm sorry andre brower certainly couldn't do it um but yeah it's it's that, that's a thing I don't like. And all that to say, I don't want to just dwell on like, Robert Downey Jr. is so good in this because he's not quipping and being Iron Man. Like, yes, it is different to see him not doing that, but it's good work because it's good work. Because it's soulful and it's tortured and it's quiet and it's it's just very, very good work just because he's a good actor and he's always been a good actor. I mean, I was – I really don't mean for all my, my film uh... – my film thoughts to come back to the MCU, but we all have this our starts. feels. Hmm? We all have our starts. Yes, this feels this feels too obvious not to grab the low hanging fruit, which is that this is another. This is the second time he has played the uh, structural antagonist, if not the actual antagonist, uh, oh, yeah. in a movie as kind of a dueling primary character. Other one being Civil War, and I think that there is. I think he does a really good job of in in both performances and like the the reason that he is so good in this is like he is presenting this character as someone who is fully lived and you totally understand what they're trying to do and the fact that they are like they're this ambitious person who feels like they see the trajectory for themselves they you can understand everything that they're doing and the reason that they they're doing it and like the way that he is perceiving the world around him I mean it's literally in black and white 
uh, yeah. <laughs> to the fact that he's like, we have to, you know, do this a certain way. We have to beat the Russians. We have to build a bomb. All of that, I think, is really effective uh, and effectively portrayed by how he how he brings the character to life. Where this could just be someone who's like, yeah. totally not lived in and just like a jerk, and you're just like, that's not really. That's like, this is. I mean, this is the whole thing about the movie, and I think why I love it so much is that it would be so easy for a biopic to like this to end up. I don't want to like poke a specific other biopic and be like, here's another thing that's that's bad, but like. I think of like the imitation game. Um, yeah. It's a movie that I, I remember watching and being like, that was, that was good. I like that. And it is not really a movie that I think, I think it's a, it's a, it's sort of formulaic. I think there is definitely a style to that um, where you kind of end up with like, yeah, here's the character. You get a good actor. You get him to do the character, hit the, hit the main points, two hours, two and a half hours. You know, we, we kind of work through it. Uh, we probably, because there are things that, like the the big point with Strauss's character is that he's a character who could very easily end up grabbing a lot of the other stuff that could stunt. Like he could become Borden, and he could be he could oh, yeah. you could take Jason Clark's character and morph or actual person, I guess, and more like all of this stuff could morph together into where he's just this like conniving villain uh, who's there at every turn, and the cast is smaller, and he and it's just like oh yeah. They beat him in the end. Good job. Oh, yes, yeah, Oppenheimer. Like, it was me, the author of all your pain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's Ryan Murphy's season three, Feud, uh-huh. Oppenheimer and Straws. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like you could end up with that being the takeaway and that it's very like, yeah, Oppenheimer, you know, he didn't really deserve all that. Like, because this antagonist is so well fleshed out, it makes you see the points that he does make about Oppenheimer as legitimate things. And it's like, yeah, I, I get, I get where he's coming from. Ultimately he comes off probably feeling like the more, the smaller guy um, in, in terms of or the smaller person in terms of the way that he approaches the situation, his perspective on things. Um, but he, they, n- no one is like totally just knocked out of like having their ideas not be, uh, not be not be valid or interesting or thought provoking in this movie. Every, everyone is taking care is taken to make sure that every character is presenting a perspective that you're like, yeah, I get that, I get I get where they're coming from. Um, really interesting. Yeah, I'm so a lot. Uh, John F. Kennedy defeats him. <laughs> that uh, is funny. Setting up Nolan's next movie. <laughs> Where Josh Peck plays John F. Kennedy. There you go. All right. <laughs> We've got it. <laughs> Drake, where is the the, the Berliner? <laughs> yeah. That. But more yeah, I, stuff just, like that. I, I was just so disappointed that Josh Peck and, and, and Oppenheimer, the actor Josh Peck and, and, and the real life character of Oppenheimer, they didn't have a conversation where they're talking about the earth and, and like the potential of, of the bomb, you know, d- destroying everything if it goes off. And, and, and Josh Peck going, <laughs> you know, it's spherical. It took me too long to figure out where you were going. <laughs> I was trying to drag it out just long enough. I was like, somebody's going to realize it. Are you spherical? Calling, are you calling me a liar? Calling you a truther? <laughs> There's. 
I need a cut of this where he just it's it's the bomb everything hits them at once and there's all the chaos and like and then just like you insert somewhere in there Josh going spherical (laughs) (laughs) sticks in there at some point um this goes to my larger point which is that I think the movie ends on too much of a downer and should have an 80s uh reel for every single character uh with like a picture of them and it plays uh it's it's like one of those YouTube those old like early early days youtube videos where it's it's you know sports highlights or it's like top moments of uh doctor who or whatever and uh it is like a slideshow of all the characters and it's like literally every single actor it's like so and so went on to do x y and z uh you know heisenberg did this like it it, it it's a it's a t- 10 15 yeah. minutes going <laughs> through this and it's just playing a playlist of you know don't you forget about me um <laughs> it's it's the it's got the youtube the thing i'm going for the youtube thing is like there's a specific effect where you have this you have a video that's too long and so you can't just do it to one song. You have to do it to like yeah. four or five songs, and they sort of they 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 fade out. They'll put they know to do the fade out effect, but then it makes it really awkward because there's like a silence for a few seconds. Then it starts playing something else that's like totally not the right tone. Like it just jumps in. It's like then you get a uh, hope you had the time of your life. Like you know, uh, take me home tonight. You know the classics. Yeah, this show, Benny Softy, <laughs> and I want to thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um so i think we need we need the the three and a half hour nolan cut to add that in <laughs> i would watch it meticulously researched every every person in the film who were they what did they do how did they die <laughs> <laughs> oh dear <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more to the movie that we have not even gotten close to to, to touching. But um, much much like a dying star, as as they talk about in the movie, uh, it's dense. And I'm giving Oppenheimer an A. Okay, there you go. Uh, a minus for me. Very good. Very good. Not upset. I'm going A plus. Yeah. Sure. Is this one of your favorite um, movies, Tyler? It might be. I know it's one of your favorites of the, the past year. It might be my. F- I gotta, I gotta let it sit farther. But like this second viewing, I mean, the first time around, I was like, "Oh, I really, really like that." But yeah. I'll wait. You know, like I don't, I don't. Yeah. Before I decide where it sits in my personal pantheon, like I, I want to give it some time and let it breathe and see how I feel about it. It might be my favorite Nolan movie. Sure. I feel like in a lot of ways it is the kind of maturation of everything he's been thinking i mean I, we talked about in the past that he's clearly been fascinated by end of the world yeah doomsday uh narratives and like what thinking about that and i, I really feel like it might be his masterpiece um really 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 like it do you want to talk about the next movie he's got to change it up interception it's there and it's interception 90 minutes yeah 90 minutes. Uh, <laughs> very classic sports uh, yeah sports biopic thing uh, Tyler, do you want to talk about sitting at a table and eating dinner? They do I that. Didn't, I I did not even remember to they do think it? about it, but yeah, yeah. Um, they moved the flowers so they they can look at Dan DeHaan. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's there's several in this, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. There's like a there's bunch a of people sitting and eating. Yeah. 
sit down to eat. Yeah. Um, there's a part he where they all go to him. a party and uh, he can never remember Dylan Arnold's wife's or girlfriend's name. And mm-hmm. I was like, I remember her. She played Magneto's daughter on The Gifted. <laughs> That's Emma DeMond. Wait, wait, Magneto, did she play Lorna Dane? Yeah. Or she plays Polaris. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I just let, let it be known that Britain does know more about the live action X Men universe than Alex does at this point. Well, yeah. I don't remember Cause, stuff. Because Britain has seen The Gifted. I've seen and I have some not. of it. Yeah, I did, did not I just, enjoy it. Now I do. This is making me want to go back in and actually do like a full analysis of just like every. Every actor, like <laughs> a, a mnemonic to figure out how to remember every actor in this movie. <laughs> well, Nolan handpicked her because he was like, could have been, could have been six seasons in a movie if they had just. I think, when did the more. gifted come out? When did the? Oh. How old are Nolan's children? <laughs> Does he have kids? I swear. Yeah, he's got kids. Okay, I know he has kids. I swear that he, in some of these people, he was like. Yeah, I remember them from that. I watched that. That was that was a pretty good film that I watched with yeah. my, my son. Well, Roderick did rule Devin Boston. <laughs> Olivia Thirlby is in this, right? She is, and she's not in it enough because mm-hmm. she's great. She gets to be the girl on the team. She's awesome in Dread. She's awesome in general. She's never in stuff though. I mean, um, real quick, I because I, I, I wanted to circle back. I did I did do a quick search on on the apple scene. Um, so apparently it is referenced in American Prometheus, but in the book it even states that it's not it it isn't confirmed whether or not that actually happened. So, right. but it also doesn't have an actual impact on anything. Well, I mean, so I feel so like it's a good. It tells us a little bit about his character, right? I think, yeah. Uh, Nolan has four children, so I mean, presumably, I don't I don't know their exact ages, but. One would one would think that he's he's covered the spe- like this is we're going back to the nineties like presumably this man just has had some sort of ch- kids television on somewhere in the house for like you know fifteen years something like that like I'm I my theory continues I think <laughs> I think he found I think he found Josh Peck because he likes Drake and Josh <laughs> I think he would have gotten Drake if Drake hadn't messed things up. <laughs> we actually that's, didn't talk about putting it real gently. quick. We, yeah, <laughs> we're just gonna leave it at that. We 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 went too far. We went too long. You underplayed this. that perfectly, Tyler. <laughs> that, just such a scoundrel. That, that was like Oppenheimer <laughs> being like, "Yeah, I had an affair. What of it?" <laughs> um, yeah, well, we he got, got Josh Peck, but Drake never found out, so he's not upset we, that we, we did the movie. We we haven't. Uh, we ha- I I don't think we've we've had a movie where we haven't had some actor we've had to like talk around or be, you know, kind of upset by the fact that they have done uh, say bad things yeah in, in their life like th- things that have you know ended ended their career or take them definitely down in the public image. Um, but I didn't even have to do that because there's also Casey Affleck in this yeah. movie uh, who I don't even know Casey Affleck the allegations against him or or confirmations I don't They're I know that. Good. <laughs> I know there. I know there are problems with him. Yep. Um. But he is very creepy in the movie. So. Yep. There you go. Yep. Um. But now I, I just want to go back and I just want to like get the entire cast here and do an analysis. I don't know what I'll find, but I think I might do that at some point. 
I, I, I will say I, I could easily see this movie being a movie I, I being one that I come back to in like five years and be like, oh, yeah, I need that in my collection like now. Um, I'm not at that point just yet. Interesting. But I also have Tenet in my collection, so I don't. <laughs> yeah, really. What do you? You have a it lot of movies in your collection, buddy. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! I'm not judging you. I'm saying you got hey, room. Hey, I like the movies. Good. As much as much as years and years on this podcast would have you believe that I, in fact, do not like movies. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Alex, do you have any movies to recommend since you love them so much? Um, I, I, I'll, I'll recommend something that I, I, I re, I rewatched something that I had seen and and recommended previously. I, I rewatched Blood Diamond. Um, because oh, yeah. I, I, I picked that up for my collection and it's very good. I, I already talked about it beforehand, but yeah, I recommend it. Yeah. Speaking of Leonardo DiCaprio's wonderful accent game, it's what it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. Um, I will dip back into my my. I am now out of my stock of backup recommendations. I maybe I might I might have another few, but uh, basically I need to get watching movies. Regardless, I'm going to recommend a movie musical from 1967. The film adaptation of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Uh, the musical by, oh boy, Frank Lesser and Abe Burroughs, maybe? Uh, am I thinking of the Guys and Dolls? Um, but it's a movie about a window washer who gets a hold of a book that tells him how to succeed in business, and boy, does he do it. And it's very, very silly. It's a very silly, silly movie. Good. It is intentionally comedic about, like, it's very... It's kind of cynical about the business world, but mostly it's just like, ah, jokes. Um, the play was revived on Broadway in 95 with Matthew Broderick, and again in the 2010s with Daniel Radcliffe. Um, yeah. But this movie stars Robert Morse, who played Bertram Cooper on Mad Men. Um, yeah. This is a very different performance. He is a weird little man giving a weird big performance. And at times I found it very funny, and at times I found it off-putting. <laughs> <laughs> um it is an interesting thing that must be seen to be understood um but yeah there's a lot of other fun uh, michelle lee plays his love interest she's really good in it i really enjoyed her and then you got a bunch of fun character performers that i i just genuinely generally liked um songs are are, are good the dance numbers there's one dance number that's really good called a secretary is not a toy um and then there's there's one at the end that they kind of nerf a la the guys and dolls movie um, I would compare it most honestly to the experience of watching Bye Bye Birdie, um, where it's like, this is an extremely silly thing. I like that. I don't know if it, it's not as like great as, you know, singing in the rain or something, but it's fun and it's kind of dumb. And I like these, I like these performers. Um, so yeah, I would definitely look up the Tony performance with Daniel Radcliffe cause he's a good dancer and man, I just like Daniel Radcliffe a lot. And, uh, Matthew Broderick was also good. Um, that was the album I, I knew best when I watched this movie. But I had a lot of fun watching it. It's a good time. It's very funny. It looks. It's all the fun like sixties. Uh, it's like if Mad Men were made in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Like it's all just like candy colored and bright and fun and mod and all that stuff. So, uh, how to succeed in business without really trying? Go watch it. It's fun. Um, I finally 
somehow had the chance to catch up on some things. I'm I'm caught up on Doctor Who, the the last four specials, uh, including the Shudigatwa Yay! Uh, intro and then his first full thing. Um, really, really good, really good performance. I'm very excited about him as the Doctor. That makes me happy for him. Yeah, that's a uh, that's exciting stuff. Um, I I think that's a weird thing because those specials and then like the next series is going to be Russell T. T Davies as the showrunner who was the showrunner for like the first few seasons of Doctor Who. I say first few, I think it was like six or so seasons series uh, of Doctor Who when it first came back on um, with like Eccleston and yeah. David Tennant. Um, and like it kind of, you know, <laughs> obviously it, it did a good job at keeping the show popular, um, but it always felt like it kind of, maybe didn't quite have a handle on how to make like a long-term story work. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see how this run around goes. Cause I think people got tired of Stephen Moffat. who was the previous guy. And then also, or he was the guy too before. And then the last guy did not last very long and people did not like him. Uh, so I don't know. It's in a weird place, but I'm excited. I think a lot of people generally, generally enjoyed the last few episodes. So right. I had a good time with him. Would recommend good good jumping on point I think, um, because we're gonna do a podcast about Doctor Who, so <laughs> that's a little hint to you. <laughs> <laughs> Starting gotta, from the beginning. Oh my god! <laughs> I got to go delete all my social media. Um. <laughs> yeah, um, I did. I did have one more to throw in there though, which is uh, Barbie. <gasps> Yay! I had to. Um, yeah, I've been I've been meaning to watch it forever, and then I finally got the chance, and I was like, "Well, this works." Alex, I'll unclench your jaw, week. relax your jaw, your teeth, and your tongue. <laughs> oh, Tyler, I'm fine. Tyler, continue. It's, I, it's I'm fine. <laughs> I really liked it. I think, uh, kind of Britain to your point of what you were just saying, like sometimes movies that are so comedic it can kind of have it can kind of be hard for them to feel like, "Oh, this is like a great movie." Yeah. Um, but I, I really liked it. Yeah. I had a good time with it. I I felt like it all worked together pretty well. Um, I'm here. Cur- I'm really curious how that movie is gonna do at like Oscars stuff, especially comparing to like Oppenheimer. Yeah. I don't know if I get Ryan Gosling as someone being talked about for things. This is my hot take that I'm working on since Barbie. Is that like I think it's it, he's fun. I like him. He's not. It's not bad. Yeah. Like I, I get it. I get I get Ryan Gosling, but it, it is very like over the top in a lot of ways. I don't know. It didn't totally track for me. Uh that like I feel like people were coming out of, out of that being like this is your I it's interesting that both of these movies I think have a mix of casts that make it confusing as to who's th- this and killers of the fire moon <laughs> make it which i have not seen yet that make it confusing as to like how how to define main versus supporting right right um so i'm I'm curious to see how that all shakes out robbie margot robbie i think i i makes a lot of sense although that feels like probably that'll be gladstone um, or emma stone at this point or yeah 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 but yeah robbie's terrific um yeah. but i'm curious like supporting actor feels like it could be Three people from Oppenheimer. <laughs> I, I imagine it will probably just yeah. be uh, Robert Downey Jr. But in the end, Robbie's uh, easy to underestimate in Barbie because weirdly she is playing the straight woman. Not not yeah. all the time. She does have a lot of very funny lines, but 
I think it's an easy performance to miss how how good yes. it is, um, because you've got Ryan Gosling going nuts and chewing the scenery, and Ferreira's got all the like, uh, uh, uh you know, quotable, uh, uh, sort of relevant lines and all this other yep. business, and then. I think it's a, like that, especially Gosling's performance makes me sympathize with the fact that you have these award shows that are, tr- will try to do like comedy or yeah. drama, yeah. like and break it up and figure out like what's, what do we do with this? Because right. it's like not, it's very hard to compare something like that um, to like the performances in Oppenheimer. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I'll be curious to see how that all shakes out. But overall, I did really enjoy yeah. it. Um, <clears throat> and I think it, it uh, it took a lot of neat turns that I was not expecting, and I think got into some some fun stuff. Uh, yeah, had a four, good time. Four sex education actors—that's always or three. Yes, makes yeah. me so happy. I um, I hope that gets more than just song at the Oscars. Like, I think production design would be really fitting, mm-hmm. or makeup or costume or something. Like, it's a really good looking movie. Um. All, all the bloodline stuff I think is really strong, but the bloodline stuff is really strong in Oppenheimer too. So it's like, yeah. what are you gonna? I don't know. Tough. Um, this is gonna be. Yeah. We were talking about this a little bit beforehand, talking about our uh, all our franchises that we have lined up to deal with. Uh, it's gonna be interesting because we have this logjam of stuff that came out in 2023, and then we're about to hit a, a gap where it's gonna be we're gonna get the last remnants of stuff that was already in production, and then it's probably gonna be, uh, you know. Quite a Adam into- Webb. Yeah, we're gonna get Sony's gonna lead the charge on saving cinemas. Um, it's gonna be hilarious when all those movies do like seven hundred million dollars. Yeah, really. <laughs> Top Gun, they Top Gun like three completely tanks. <laughs> Top Gun three makes no money because everyone's watching Madam Web three. Yes, it, it's it's gonna be the year of the Sony verse. Real quick. Uh, I've got very mixed feelings on Barbie. There's parts of it I really liked. There's parts of it I didn't really care about. Uh, yeah. It's, there's too many, it's too many, too many jokes. We can go off of that. I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave that as look, your respected opinion. <laughs> look, there, there is a fantastic Snyder cut joke, yes. and like that in the Matchbox Twenty bit, like that's oh, that, so that stuff. Good. And that's and that Snyder Cut joke ably delivered by uh, Sony misused uh, or Fox misused actress Alexandra Ship. Um, uh, She was Storm Storm from X Men Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's her. And she's in Tick Tick Boom, where she's good. Um, Yes, because she's talented. Um, Issa Rae gets an uh, gets an f bomb that's really funny, (laughs) like. But yeah, yeah I, Barbie is I, a movie I'm, I'm, that, as we're talking about like AI and the arts, and whatever nonsense, Barbie is so clearly a movie that was made by people. That is so clearly a human-made movie because it is kind of messy, and that's my hot take about Barbie. Is not that I dislike it, but that it's messy, and that's okay. And I kind of like that it's messy. I kind of like that it's like, yeah, it doesn't. It's trying to do a lot of things at once, and that's kind of the point. <laughs> that's kind of the theme of the thing yeah. of the movie is how can this be everything when you're asking it to be everything at one specific thing and everything at once. Like I kind of yeah. respect it for that. Um, I look at it more through the lens of just with Barbenheimer and kind of what that represented. I'm like, you've got very two distinct movies that yeah. could easily be put in their little boxes. And it's like, okay, that's, that's just our normal, just movie fodder for the year. Yeah. 
but they're both very very different even within their own genre yes and that's i think that's that's my biggest takeaway and it's of course hollywood's gonna learn all the long wrong lessons from both of them yes um but in and of themselves like that's that's what i appreciate about them even if like barbie i did not enjoy as much as everyone else and i'm happy that it did well and i'm happy that people like it it's just and and they're bold it yeah it's magic Mm -hmm. did not work on me nearly as well as most everyone else (laughs) when i love so much that that barbenheimer was and there, there are individual people who turned it into a competition and pitted them against each other. But by and large, that movement was about two things working together. It was and, a conspiracy by Tom Cruise, <laughs> right? But yeah. th- that is a that is a work of of audiences going. Oh wait, we can like two things. We like both of these directors. We want to see both this stuff. And if Barmanheimer got more people to see a movie they were not as likely to see because their partner wanted to see the other one and they were like, let's do the meme thing. And then everybody got to see a different kind of movie. That's a win in my book. When you get to see, you get to experience different kind of art. And it's great that like Gerwig and Nolan were like, yeah, I'm going to go see the other one. It's fun. And Nolan and uh, Murphy and Robbie were like, yeah, your movie's great. Your movie's great. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Like it was, it was a positive thing that so easily could have been this vitriolic. Who's going to win. It's like, that's not the point. They're both, Look at what we're doing. It's movies. Movies are fun. <laughs> Enjoy art. I like that. And and like you said, Alex, I like that within their own genre, they are each doing something different than what you expect. And they're bold and they're weird. And it's it's a good thing. And they both have like broken casts. Yes. Um, I do think that Hollywood will take one one right lesson, which is that make movies with smaller budgets. Uh, I, think, I, hope, I think probably I they'll be like, you know what? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. That'll work out. Which maybe, obviously maybe uh Ant Man the Lost Quantumania was a bad idea. Maybe <laughs> it shouldn't have cost <laughs> the GDP of a small country. <laughs> maybe, maybe it should be the least. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, oh yeah. Well that yeah, Polly Pocket but, movie, that's we're all gonna be eating crow. Yeah. Um <laughs> Um I was I was at some point going to make a transition, uh, and I blame Alex uh for saying something that got me off track <laughs> uh that this if, is what usually happens so if I'm you want to if you want to see how our uh our discussion of upcoming movies mostly going to be sony movies because then we're just going to have a drought of anything else for a while um if you want to hear us talk about whatever comes out between now and when production finally ramps up all the way back up uh you can find us online at here come the sequels.blogspot.com you can find us on twitter at hct sequels you can email us at here come the sequels at gmail.com this episode's already running long um i will i will shout out i'm not even going to pull it up but the one secret meme that i uh that that britain sent uh forever ago was a meme of uh killian murphy in, in this when he's looking at the bomb and everything goes white uh and it, it was it was See now I can't describe it. My power is I've lost my power. <laughs> you need to get closer to Earth's yellow meme. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he was he was looking at the uh, the Bandai Namco logo popping up on uh, a From Software game because there is like a very I don't know if you call it infamous, but it's very like sort of iconic thing where anytime you open up a, a Dark Souls or anything like that, there's an immediately like blindingly white screen with the Bandai Namco logo in the middle of it before it goes to the onto the like regular typeline. <laughs> it's pretty good it's pretty good if you want to send us memes and i will actually look at them and describe them um or just tell me like you know who who your favorite dark souls boss is we'll make a list 
We'll take a fan vote. We'll talk about it. I don't know um, any of them. I'll get to, make a new thing where Tyler gets to teach me about the bosses of Dark Souls. <laughs> I'll describe Dark Souls. That'll That's be actually my fun. Send Tyler as Dark Souls boss to describe. Um, this one's like a ropey kind of behemoth squirrel. Tentacles. Tentacles. Um, yeah, send us things. We crave engagement. Five stars and such. <laughs> Play with us. Mattel. Yeah, Mattel. We have <laughs> the toys. Um, I believe next week we're actually going to be uh, starting a franchise. Yeah, we decided that because the Marvels will not be on Disney Plus for a while, we didn't have to do, do that Blue Beetle crap. Yeah, we're going to skip. We're not skip, but no, we're going to uh, postpone and we're going to do an, a nice a nice little clump that I'm sure we will enjoy of of superhero movies uh, that we did not. We still have not gotten to from last year uh, and some other franchise stuff. So we'll we'll do that after our next franchise, which you may just have to watch your feed to find out about. Because I don't know. Long time coming. Like surprising you. Yeah. And I know I like two of those movies. It's it's the road to four hundred. Oh, that's true. Gosh, four hundred. Brendan, I didn't I didn't know you've seen two Punisher movies. Oh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> which is the good one and which is the good bad one? That's the question. Yes. And then there's no, Dolph Lundgren. What I meant to say. <laughs> sure. I've been Alex. <laughs> I've been Tyler. I've been Britain. And you're having a good night.